Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I'm your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter, copy strategist, and founder of Copyworks. Join me each week as I speak with experts in the fields of marketing, copywriting, decision-making, psychology, and more, all with one goal, to help you attract your ideal customers and inspire them to take action. My gift today is Deanna Shimoto. Deanna is CEO of Growth Mode Marketing. She's made it her mission to know everything about B2B marketing and demand generation. She's on top of every tech trend and social media modulation. And while she skates on the cutting edge of marketing innovation, Deanna stays grounded in a foundation of solid marketing principles. She's used her skills and expertise to catapult multiple technology companies into high growth mode. And her fun fact, which I asked her about, is that her family tree includes Abraham Lincoln. So we're going to find out about that. So in today's interview, Deanna talks about how do B2B prospects buy in a changing world and what should companies do to keep pace? What role does content play in a demand gen engine? What are the strategy elements that go into building out a demand generation engine and a lot more? Let's dive in. Okay. Welcome, Deanna. I'm so happy to have you on my podcast. Thanks for taking the time today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Linda. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. I have to start with in your bio, you talk about your family tree includes Abraham Lincoln. So I have to ask about it. I mean, is this like, how did you find out first of all? And then how is, how are you related? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. I'm not sure how my family found out or knew that. It's somewhere in the family tree. It's actually like the direct descendant was his wife that he married. I think Uh her name's Mary Todd. And they actually like a a distant relative, you know, like a third cousin or something like that, did a blood test, like a DNA test a few years ago and confirmed what we already knew. So it's kind of funny. (laughs) Yeah. So if I was in your family, I'd be wearing one of those big hats all the time they used to wear. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Just so Uncle Abe really is my uncle. So then people be asking you about the hat and you're like, oh, this thing. Well, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Good conversation starter. Exactly, right? (laughs) But yeah, so today we're going to jump into a topic that's all over LinkedIn. And it's funny because about a year ago, well, two years ago, I really started being active on LinkedIn. I didn't even know what demand generation was. I was asking people, what is this thing? And now it's like everyone's talking about it and everyone has a different take on what is happening in that world. So especially with B2B, when, you know, we've heard a lot lately about how B2B prospects, their buying habits are changing. What is your take on that? Because that seems to be a topic of discussion. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, we're seeing it with our clients at Growth Mode Marketing. And when I go out and I talk to individuals in sales roles and marketing roles, you know, we work a lot with companies in the HR technology space and in software as a service as general. And the feedback that they're giving is, man, the things I did in marketing, you know, that have always worked, that kind of tried and true model just is not producing the results that it used to. We're hearing that everywhere. And there's statistics that have come out from Gartner that absolutely support that. 72% of B2B prospects that they talked to said that they would prefer to have zero interaction with the sales rep during the purchase process. 
they're making up to 80% of that purchase decision before they engage with a sales rep. And it's taking on average 66 touches now from a marketing standpoint before they're willing to engage with a company. So it's gotten a lot harder to get in front of people and really like move the needle from a sales perspective. That must be very disturbing from a sales perspective. (laughs) I mean, sales has always been one of those things where oh, I don't want to be sales. You know, there's so many negative connotations mm-hmm. with sales. So this kind of piles on that, right? And I mean, what do you do if you're a sa- in sales? I mean, how does that change? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And I think for organizations as they're grappling with the reality of how people want to buy today, you know, they want to do a lot of the stuff online digitally. And it all comes down to the kind of content that you put out there and how you build your digital footprint to become essentially your best sales rep. Now, that doesn't mean it's replacing salespeople by any mean, but if they're making up to 80% of that decision before they reach out to a company or are willing to talk to them, you've got to be able to make that consideration set. And so from a company perspective, sales and marketing need to get aligned on this and the marketing programs and the way we approach it, it needs to evolve to support the way that prospects want to buy today. And so, you know, unfortunately, there's no easy answer for a sales rep like, well, just do it this way. You've got to partner with marketing together, come up with a way to really give the information that people need and want as they're doing their research and as they're, you know, even when they're not in market to buy, because someday hopefully they will be, to build that brand awareness and trust so -hmm. that your company can make that consideration set. Isn't it in a way almost easier if you're in sales though? Because if someone reaches out to a salesperson, you know, (laughs) they're 80% of the way there. I mean, is that true? Well, you know, I think where the problem lies is if you aren't a company that made that consideration set, meaning I've narrowed it down to two to three companies or products and solutions that I'm talking to. They don't reach out to that company. I think it makes it a lot harder for sales reps because they've got to meet their numbers. A lot of times these companies have aggressive growth goals. There's a lot of pressure on them to deliver. And so if they're not getting the leads, well, they've got to find out how to make that happen. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, if the demand generation engine has been built out and it's humming along and it's working really well, you're going to have more inbound leads. You're actually going to make that consideration set. And then it becomes better for those sales reps because now they're getting like truly qualified leads of individuals that have raised their hand and said, I am in market to buy. I'm ready to engage with a sales rep. And so, you know, kind of the difference between lead generation versus demand generation with lead generation, your marketing programs are only focused on the 5% of companies that are currently in market. You're asking prospects for a meeting and you're trying to pull them into your sales process. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, if you build out a demand generation engine, The focus is on driving value, not just with the 5% that are currently in market to buy, but also the 95% who are not looking to buy right now. And that's really important because future customers are really important to the future growth. And if you want to make that consideration set, i.e. they've made 80% of their purchase decision and your company's actually on there, you've got to get in front of them before they 
are ready to have that conversation with you. And so your marketing programs are focused on building brand awareness and trust to create demand and ultimately capture it. And so the flip is prospects ask you for a meeting and they invite you into their buying process versus lead gen where you're asking them for a meeting and trying to pull them into your sales process. Yeah, that's a whole lot harder. Just to back up a little bit, as someone who's never worked in corporate or in the actual marketing department, (laughs) what did it used to be like? Was this obviously, well, maybe not so obviously, but it's been a gradual change as far as the buying process. What did it used to be like before it started to change? What was the- Yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, marketing is always evolving. And over the years, like I think, especially like you look at software companies and HR technology companies, they have this model where they hire what they call these sales development reps. And you put marketing automation in place and marketing builds out these campaigns and programs all designed to capture a person's contact information. So you can hand them to these SDRs, these SDRs call, and they start trying to make appointments and qualify these individuals. And then they hand these leads on to the sales team. And that worked really well for many years. It's a model that many technology organizations still still subscribe to, but people are becoming less responsive to it. And so the way that marketing has had to evolve is instead of shooting out a bunch of cold emails and making a bunch of cold calls, we have to get ahead of it in a different way. And that's really about what I said before about building out your digital footprint. And that's all about like having content as the foundation to develop ways for people to find you and to learn about you and to build that trust and ultimately an affinity for your brand. Okay. So you brought up content. So that mm-hmm. it plays a huge role, right? In demand gen. So tell me about that. Like what type of content and what is the role of content? When you're looking at demand generation, you know, I really look at the content is the fuel to the engine. And there's three pillars to a demand generation engine. So the first pillar is going to be the strategy. And that's uh, from our perspective at Growth Mode Marketing, we look at it as you need an ideal customer profile. Mm-hmm. That is defining the best fit companies for your products and services. That's a really critical part because what it does is it sets the foundation to guide everything else. Right. The next piece that you need to look at is developing a unique point of view story framework. And what that is, is, okay, here is the story that we're going to go out in the market and tell over and over and over. And those two pieces become a guide for all of the content you create and the copywriting because it it sets the direction, it sets the stage for what you're going to develop and it hyper-focuses everything in. So when you're going and you're creating a new piece of content, writing an article, you know, creating a presentation outline, whatever you're doing, you're looking at it through the lens of this is exactly who I'm talking to, this type of audience. And this is exactly the story I'm trying to tell and the key points that I need to weave into what I'm doing. So it gets it very focused. Mm -hmm. And then that third piece of the strategy is really building out the content marketing plan and Mm -hmm. the demand generation plan. You know, we kind of look at that as one thing, one document that has both the content and the demand gen in it. But once you set that strategy, that second pillar of a demand generation engine 
is the content. And like I said, the strategy piece was the blueprint for here's how we're going to focus. Here's what we're going to say. Here's how we're going to execute on it. That content creation then becomes, okay, what type of content are we going to create? What type of formats are we going to create? And how are we going to create content that fits each stage of the funnel? And, you know, we look at the funnel as if you've got the awareness stage, that's where at any given time, 95% or greater of companies are sitting, meaning they're not in market to buy right now, but they mm-hmm. could be someday. Then you've got the consideration phase of the funnel and you've got the decision phase of the funnel. And so creating content for each of those stages. And we like to look at content from the standpoint of of what we call cornerstone and cobblestone content. I don't know, Linda, if, if you've talked about it in that kind of way when you're creating content. But for us, like a cornerstone piece is the big piece. So for example, let's say your cornerstone content is a podcast series, or it's a really comprehensive research report, an ebook, something that's pretty substantial. What makes it the, the big piece? Truly, like how meaty is it? Is the thing I would look at. If you take like a podcast series, for example, you're talking about things for a full, you know, 20 minutes, half hour, hour, depending on the podcast. Um, If you're looking at a research report, like let's say it's a 20 page resource report, that's pretty meaty. So the cobblestones become how do you chip off bite sized pieces to get more leverage out of that report? Because let's say you have a 20 page. Yeah, exactly. It's sweating the content, slicing, dicing, however you want to, you know, talk about it. But looking at like a 20 page research report, for example, some people out there, they love that kind of content. They're going to consume it all day. Right. But a lot of people don't work that way. You know, they're not interested in reading the full 20 pages, but you still want to get that information out there and you hope that they consume it if they're your ideal customer profile. So when you look at the cobblestone pieces, it's like, how do I create more bite-sized consumable pieces to one kind of spoon feed and in smaller portions, that information to that audience, but also just to get in front of them and reiterate the points more often and regularly. And -hmm. if you look at that research report, for example, you could probably create easily 40 pieces out of that. Yeah. And that sounds like a lot, you know, some of the things, but if you look at it and you're like, okay, we're going to create some video snippets talking Mm -hmm. about these things. We're going to do a webinar on this topic, maybe two webinars because it's pretty substantial information. We're going to create articles out of it. We're going to create a bunch of social posts out of it. Like it actually adds up pretty quickly. Right. And as you're talking, it's interesting because I'm thinking of, was a couple of things that came to mind, but when um, when people talk a lot about how sales pages are too long, like as a copywriter, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, this page is too long. But the principle that you just described is why these pages, because research shows that the long form sales pages work. They convert at a higher yep. level or higher rate, but the way it's broken up is to satisfy all the different types of readers. So most people exactly. skim. Yeah. So you get the uh, they call them crossheads. People call them subheads, but subheads are under the crosshead. But that's what people are going to, they're going to jump down from crosshead to crosshead to subhead. And then if they like it, they'll go back and read parts of it. 
it's the same kind of thing. And I mean, they, it, it, the only difference is it's not content that can be broken up I and mean, you could for ads or something, but, um, but yeah, it's right. the same thing. You have to capture different types of people, different strokes for different folks. Like some people prefer to watch videos to consume their information. Some people prefer to listen to podcasts. Some people prefer to read. Some people prefer to scan, you know, like there's all different ways that people consume and you're not going to create one piece and have it appeal to everybody. But if you look at your content as how do I slice and dice it? and create all kinds of different formats out of this topic, you can get a lot more mileage out of it for sure. I was just going to say it takes time, like as, but I'm not, I don't have a team of people doing that for me. So for me, it's like as yeah. a single entrepreneur, it's hard, you know, but, but it's oh, for sure. <laughs> and then of course, along the way you're testing all of this, right? Like what is converting yep. better and then deciding, can exactly. you exactly? Anything in particular? Yes. You know, it depends on the audience, truly, because some audiences, you know, we sell to might be engineers. They're much more analytical. You know, they actually like the long form content typically. So we're going to take a different approach with them. Whereas if you were selling to a bunch of marketers, for example, they're more likely to lean towards the shorter type of content and the smart pithy type of things. Um, but you, you bring up a good point in talking about you've got to get it out there and test it. And that's where the third pillar of demand generation comes into play. You've created all this great content that's mm. hyper-focused on your ideal customer profile and telling your story. It's only as good as, you know, how much an audience and the right audience you get it out in front of. So if nobody sees that content, it's kind of wasted effort. So that third pillar is what we call distribution. And mm. that's really the elements of how do I get that content out in front of that audience? And mm -hmm. so you're looking at not only, you know, the formats that you have, but now you're looking at an omni-channel approach to marketing to say, okay, we can look at email campaigns. We can look at digital advertising. We can look at our own website. We can look at third-party channels and, and building out that digital footprint and executing uh, on those programs to get it out. And from the perspective of looking at it and saying, how do I build out my digital footprint? How do I get this content in front of them? I think there are three avenues to look at and build out. The first is your own website. This is your digital storefront. It's got to be good. I don't think that's earth shattering advice <laughs> for anyone, but I think there's an opportunity for a lot of organizations to take a step back and say, okay, if somebody's coming to my website, how am I putting content on there? How deep can they go in that content? Does the content cover each stage of the funnel? So if they really want to go deep and they're like ready to dig in, but they don't want to talk to a salesperson, do I have good product and service information on there? Do I have content loops? So you look at one thing and, you know, it's the infinite loop of you might also like this and this and this and relevant content. You know, you have to have enough content on your site to make that work. That second avenue is what we call managed channels. And that's all about how do I build out an audience that wants to consume my content on a regular basis? Those are the type of tactics where you can control what you are publishing, when you are publishing, and how often you are publishing. So think like your blog, social media, 
podcasts, email campaigns, digital advertising. You're in control of that. You're trying to build up your own audience. Mm-hmm. And then that third avenue, which a lot of times companies will actually start here because they don't have their own audience built up yet, is third channel audiences. How do you tap into someone else's existing audience that's relevant to your ideal customer profile? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you might be looking at industry organizations, industry resources. There's all kinds of pay-to-play opportunities out there. You've got review sites. Like, there's just different things out there that have audiences that you want to leverage their audience. So you build that out as well. Mm -hmm. I've also heard recently of podcasters who at the beginning of their podcast will promote another podcast. So is that what you mean? Is that the same kind of thing? And and it works. I mean, I always, if it's a podcast I like, and I was like, all right, if they, you know, they're doing some kind of exchange, I guess. And so I'll go check out the other one. There's absolutely that. Or like your podcast is an example of where I'm tapping into another existing audience, right? Because I'm coming on your podcast and I'm having a conversation with you. Well, now your audience will get exposure to my company. That's the kind of things, you know, like we work with our clients on to say, okay, they have an audience. That audience looks pretty similar to who you're trying to target. How do we get you involved in some way with that? I wanted to ask you too, with the three pillars, like what, because when you start, the first step is to find and create your ideal customer profile. I belong to a couple of copywriting coaching groups. And one of the things we had to do was to flesh out a profile for a customer. A lot of times it was fictitious, but the coach would mm-hmm. always critique us. And it was way harder than yeah. we thought. It's not like, oh, it's, you know, a woman between this age and it's just and people talk about the demographics. <laughs> but do you find that that's a hard part or is there something else? Where do companies tend to drop the ball a little bit or not do as great of a job? Yeah, I think where companies tend to drop the ball is trying to be everything to everyone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether you're selling copywriting services or you're selling an HR technology solution, you know, you can take a step back and you can say, well, but we could serve this audience and this audience and this audience. So therefore, we're going to market to everybody that can conceivably buy it. And the mistake there when you're in a very crowded market and there's a lot of competition is that you you kind of blend in with the sea of sameness. It sounds like everybody else. And I'll use the HR technology space as an example because there's 21,000 plus HR technology systems out there that an HR tech buyer could choose from. Now they all do different things. You know, there's, there's different categories of things. So one could argue, well, I sell payroll management. I don't compete against the recruiting platform. Well, HR has one budget. They're going to decide how to allocate those dollars. You technically do compete against them, maybe not directly, but indirectly for those dollars. Mm -hmm. Now, if there are, say, 100 payroll platforms out there, and there's actually way, way more than that, but, you know, just to make the math easy, Mm -hmm. and I'm marketing to you, and let's say 20% of the market is marketing to you. I've got 20 different vendors that are sending me information. Right. And they're all saying, we can manage your payroll. Well, let's say I'm a manufacturing company, and one of those vendors 
their messaging is focused on payroll for manufacturing, and they're talking about the nuances of shift differentials and high turnover rates and things that are very specific to the manufacturing company's problems with managing employees and payroll. And all the rest just talk about managing payroll in general. Which one of the 20 that I'm getting marketed from do you think will stand out? They're not necessarily selling a different service, but they're talking to me different. Right. And that's the whole point with the ideal customer profile is, you know, companies are afraid to narrow down their audience, but narrowing down that audience, if you do it the right way and you get hyper-focused with the content and the message that you're putting in front of them will actually get you better traction. And so it's a key to growth because if you're in a crowded market, it's really hard to stand out. And on a B2C level, we just recently had barn doors put in our, our house to separate a couple of rooms. And the, the guy that does the doors, all he does is barn doors. He goes, I'm a, uh-huh. a licensed contractor. He said, I can build anything. And he says, sometimes I do other things. But he said, my entire business is built on barn doors. And he is swamped with work. Right. Like, so it's, you know, and I was asking him from a marketing perspective, of course, me being a marketer. So it was just interesting to hear <laughs> that. He said, I, and he was showing, flipping through his phone of all the doors he's done. He goes, you know, this, this keeps me busy. So, so it's interesting. And you wouldn't think. So what is, is there an ultimate goal that companies should try to accomplish with their content? You need to build your digital footprint to become your best sales rep. Because people are doing the majority of their research and the majority of their learning and education through digital resources. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that digital footprint that makes you easy to find, goes through the different phases of the funnel so that, you know, whether they're at the awareness stage or they're at the decision phase, they can find the content, then you're not there yet and you need to work. That makes total sense. Well, this has been awesome. Um, one last question. Where can listeners find you? Yeah. If you are interested in learning more about demand generation and best practices around it, check out my podcast. It's called The Demand Gen Fix, and it's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow me on LinkedIn, Deanna Shimoda. I post a lot of content and thoughts on demand generation best practices. And then, of course, check out my company's website, Growth Mode Marketing at growthmodemarketing.com. Awesome. That's great. Well, thank you so much. It's been super interesting and informative. I appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Linda. That wraps up today's episode. I hope you found it as fun to listen to as it was for me to record. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe. And for additional info, visit my website at thecopyworks.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.